All right, you ready to go? Yeah. That golf course the other day playing with this guy picked up and played, and we got to a par three near the road, and as I was coming up and getting ready to, you know, to putt, I noticed a hearse came by, and there was a long line of cars, and this guy just took his hat off and stood there. Put it over his heart while the car, the hearse went by. And I noticed when it went by, he had some tears in his eyes. And I, I looked at him. I said, you know, I think that's great. I, I was just worried about golf. And here you are. You stood. You took your hat off. He said, well, she's a good wife for 30 years. <laughs> she deserves that. We either walk in fear of death or we laugh at it. Am I right? It's easier to laugh, but sometimes it's hard. You know, ever since Adam's sin, death entered the world of every kind. In fact, in Romans, we read this scripture. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... And death through sin. And then this way, death came to all men because all have sinned. Because of the universality of sin, we all live in a terminal, uh, this terminal case. And I've been told that I think very negatively, and I don't think it's negatively. I just have a good focus on life. And do you realize when that doctor hung you upside down by the, the legs and slapped you on the butt and you cried and you sucked in that breath, that's the only breath of life <laughs> you're going to breathe. Every other breath is a breath, one less breath that you're going to have. Now, if you fear death, if you uh, are, are afraid, if you death is some kind of unknown, which it is, except the Bible tells us when we, as his people, close our eyes in death, we open our eyes in the presence of God. So it's like, boom, and we're in his presence. That's, that is the deal with it. And when you understand that, here's something very important. Now, some of you are looking at me like I'm crazier than you normally look at me, but that's okay. When you learn how to live this life you've been given, you'll be prepared and you'll know how to die. Do you realize that? If you realize from the beginning this life is a gift and that everything on is a gift. I was just sitting back and I was thinking... God formed me in my mother's womb. He brought me forth in a, a healthy birth. In 1976, he gave me this rebirth, this new life and new outlook. Uh, just last year, he uh, gave me four new little arteries to pump blood. So, you know, to continue. Everything is a gift from God. And so you don't have anything to lose unless you don't have that relationship with God. And then you've got everything to lose.
We're going to look at a story today about a death and about a disease. But I ran across from some things, articles. Top five easy things you can do to escape death. You get That's what they said, not me. Okay. So what are they? Well, double your attention at home. Uh, most accidents happen within five minutes of your home. Uh, you can avoid accidents by remaining vigilant at home. Secondly, build yourself a card, a little three-by-five card with life-saving information. What you're allergic to, uh, your doctor's number, you know, just all that stuff. Uh, then they said, uh, where's the other one? Here we go. Uh, practice healthy habits. I guess that's eating right and uh, drinking plenty of water. Uh, also, it says to care about your mental health. Uh, I, I care about my mental health and uh, because this affects you, how you think. And it's uh, then respect safety protocols. That, don't, that means don't be stupid when you drive. Uh, you know, be careful. But when I read those, I still wondered how you're going to escape death. I mean, they're pretty good ideas, but how you escape death. So I, I decided to ask you something. Show that first picture for me. Do you know who this is? Huh? That's James Bedford. He was the first guy. We just hold it there. Show me that second picture. Y'all know who he is? Ted Williams. Ball player. Do you know what they have in common? These two guys? Well, he was the first one to have his entire body frozen through cryogenics. And Ted just had his head frozen. Because, you see, somebody came up with the idea that if you freeze your body and then wait long enough, whenever whatever disease you had when you died, and they get a cure, they'll thaw you out. Now, there's a lot of issues with that. What if the guy in charge of thawing you out has a grudge against you? But there's a better thought I had on this. Why just the head? And I did some research on this. He's not the only one that had their head froze. So, I'm, you know, I'm not the sharpest pencil, but I'm not the dullest either. So I'm wondering, what good is it to thaw out your head and it starts thinking and talking and looking and it don't have a body to walk around? Do you get a new model? I mean, is that, is that what they're going to do? They thaw you out and you pick out this new model bottle, body and they plump the head on there and you go. Those are the things that people actually do thinking they're going to escape death. Now, here's the statement that I loved in this article. This is a quote from the people, Alcor, that does this. And they charge $200,000 to freeze a body and $50,000 just to freeze a head. So I'm going to put on Facebook, I've made room in my freezer. And I'll do it 
for half price, and uh, hopefully I'm alive when they fix your body. I don't know. Here's a statement these people made. No cryonics organization knows how to bring life back to its preserved patients. Finally, somebody telling the truth. You see, when you get real in life, there's sickness in life, there's issues in life, and it is appointed unto man one time to die after that, the judgment. And when you stop fearing and you simply see what God says about how to live life, And how to prepare for death. Amazing things happen. You don't have to pay that money. You don't have to worry about anything. God's got it under control. In the fifth chapter, we're going to see a story about a man who had a 12-year-old daughter who had a disease. She was sick. He was a religious leader. In fact, I wrote wrote down some, some things here. We're going to see a story about one man, one woman. One was very wealthy and one was poor. One was respected. One was rejected. One was honored. One was ashamed. One was a leader in the synagogue. The other was excommunicated from the synagogue. One was a 12-year-old child and one was a 12-year-old sickness. That sets the stage. Now, to understand this fifth chapter, you've got to think about what we've been reading about. This is the early part of Jesus' ministry. And he is saying he is the Son of God. Everything in the prophets pointed to his birth. I, I love it when the Pharisees would ask him, are you the Son of God? And he would say, I am, realizing that that was, he was saying, Yahweh. Yahweh means I am. So here's Jesus, and we we forget sometimes why he healed the sick, why he raised the dead. He wasn't on a traveling show to get the people to follow him. He came here to authenticate that he was the Son of God, That he was going to die on the cross and in him our sins would be placed on him. And through him and only through him would we have salvation and eternal life. That's why Jesus, in the latter story of the fourth chapter, Jesus is asleep in the boat. A bunch of fishermen are absolutely terrified. They're on the water and their waves. He stands up. He speaks the word. And the seas calm. This shows that he had the the authority over natural forces. The next story, in the first part of fifth chapter, he goes across to uh, the Western Bank, and he runs into a guy that has a legion of di- uh, demons, over a hundred demons. You know the story. He cast them out into pigs. They ran down and cast themselves into the sea. And this demon was a man that was terrorizing his neighborhood. 
And the people were so thankful for what Jesus did, the scriptures record this word. It says the people came to him and begged him to leave their territory. So he got in a boat and he came back. This is where we pick up where we are in verse 21. Let's look, 5th chapter, verse 21. When Jesus again had crossed by boat to the other side of the lake, talking about the Sea of Galilee, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. While he's going, a large crowd followed him and passed, pressed around him. And a woman who had been subject to a bleeding for 12 years. This is why she was excommunicated from the synagogue. She lived for 12 years being unceremonially clean, unclean. If she had been healed, she would have to wait the seven days and then supply proof. But for 12 years, all of her doctors, all of the medicine, nothing had helped. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone from him. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Let's stop right there a minute. Do you get the picture? When they're talking multitudes, they're talking about hundreds, possibly thousands of people that awaited every time Jesus would go across the lake. When he got there, there was a crowd. When he came back, when he got back, there was a crowd. And so he's going through this crowd, pushing. Uh, people are pushing and shoving. And, and he's going to this ruler of the synagogue, Jairus's house. Jairus, this ruler of the synagogue, was probably not uh, a Pharisee simply because we see that he honored Jesus. He came, he bowed down at him, and he simply requested, and he made a statement of faith. If you just come and touch, just touch, my daughter is going to be healed. So he starts with Jairus. He's going to his house. When we read the account in Luke... Several of the people in crowd say, hey, that's a good guy. He's the leader of our synagogue. He built it. He helps our community. Just trying to pump Jesus up, and Jesus was going to make his way. On his way, 
is he runs into this lady. We are not giving her, given her name. But we know for 12 years she had this, this condition. She no doubt had no children. No doubt she was uh, destitute. And she knew, she thought within her mind that if she could just touch his clothes. I want you to see the picture. Jairus falling down at his feet. This lady coming up behind him just to touch him, hoping that it would escape notice. But it didn't. Jesus realized power had gone from him. How we know that? I I don't know, but he did. And then he asked this question. And, And if you, if you will, as you read the gospels, one thing I ask you to go back and look at. Look at the conversations between Jesus and his disciples. It's some of the funniest conversation you'll ever read. I mean, these are a group of men that are following him. And you can tell they just don't have it yet. They see everything that he's doing. But they don't understand. And in this mass of humanity, Jesus said, who touched me? Disciples no doubt thought, Jesus, you need to take a rest. I think you're getting a little crazy here. There's hundreds of people around you. But Jesus said, I know. And once Jesus stopped and inquired, this woman walked around and confessed, it was me who touched you. You see, Jesus will run into a centurion who has a sick child. And the centurion will say to him, look, you don't have to come to my house. I'm not worthy of you coming into my house. If you'll say the word where you are, my child will be healed. Jesus made a statement that in all of Israel, he had not seen such faith. What is the issue? Jesus is not only proving that he is Lord over disease. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus is still Lord over disease. I thank God for doctors. Thank God for the medicine and and that stuff. But ultimately, you need to, to get a settling within your mind, okay, that God is still the great healer. All healing comes from him. He equips doctors. Uh, every time uh, we have tests or my wife has tests, I just say, Lord, give that doctor enough brains to know what you're doing about this. Jesus is just as available today, even though he's not walking among us. He is living in us. He is interested in us. And as a part of life, he still is able to bring healing. I'll tell you something else about this. When you, when you look at a crowd, have you ever been in a crowd and somebody try to get your attention and you're going from point A to point B and they want to have a conversation on, with you? Have you ever been in that position? I, I can tell you that sometimes I just have to admit this. There's sometimes as a pastor, I hid in my office till the song service was over. I did. Cause I had a message on my mind. And sometimes people thought I was interested in the fact 
that the ladies' bathroom, the toilet is running over. And that there's a mean kid down here hollering in, in the nursery. And for some reason, they just thought I would be interested in all that information at that time. See, I was a coward. Jesus wasn't. And the one thing that you see about Jesus, that even in a crowd, he is accessible. Have y'all guys tried to call your doctor and talk to him today? Huh? Yeah, good luck. (laughs) Good luck. They got this nurse and that nurse and this assistant and that assistant. And he'll call you back. Maybe before your head thaws out. Who knows? Jesus is accessible then. He's accessible now. The crowds doesn't bother him. He's not one. He's on his way to take care of Jairus. But he cares about you lost in the crowd. Not only that, in the commotion of life, you can interrupt him. If you've got children, you know the deal of carrying on an adult conversation and somebody here with your legs, daddy, daddy, mommy, mommy, he's Jesus. You can interrupt him. You see, he don't forget what he's doing. Not only that, he cares. He wants you to interrupt him. He wants you to understand that even though he is intricately aware of every situation in the world that's happening right now, don't neglect to call upon him. You can interrupt him. He can do more than one thing at a time. In the crisis, Jesus is unflappable. The one thing that I don't like to hear when I'm flying is the stewardess talking that the captain is nervous. I don't like that. Or when we run into a little, little disturbances. When the captain comes on, he's trembling in his voice. I don't like that stuff. I want that guy to know what he's doing. Jesus in the crisis, though you may be falling apart, he is not. Not only that, in the cure. In the cure, he's generous. If you read the rest of the story, as he uh, turns from this woman, they run from Jairus' house and say, don't bother the teacher. Your daughter is dead. And Jesus, come on, we're going. And he goes. And, and the, because he said, she's not dead. And they laugh at him. When he gets there, here's the scene. In the Jewish custom, when someone died... You hired professional mourners. And these were most often, this is culture, women that could wail and cry very loudly. And you would hire flute players to play this slow, draggy, mournful music. And so Jesus goes into the house. They got flute players. They got women mourning. They're being paid to mourn. And then you got the family and others tearing their clothes. Did you know there was a book with 23 instructions on how to tear your garments, where to tear them, and how to fix them? 
And one of the things, if you follow their instructions, whenever the funeral's over, they're very easy to sew and put back together. That book actually exists. So this is what Jesus is facing. And it says he put everybody out of the house except Peter, James, and John. And he just went in and said, little girl, stand up. And she did. Jesus didn't turn to Jairus and say, I just healed this lady. I don't think I can make it to your house. Besides, they said your daughter is dead. Friends, I want to tell you something. We act like Jesus is a one and done God. We act like that he doesn't want us to cast cares and burdens. It's almost like we believe that God just simply wants us walking around in fear, worrying about everything. When in the reality, the scripture says that Jesus said, cast your cares. And when you look at that word in the Greek, it simply means to regurgitate, cast everything on him. Jesus did not create us to live in the beautiful world we live in, even though there's trials, tribulation, disease, sickness, and death, and walk around as if there is no hope. Listen, you may be worried about that first death, but I want to tell you about a death that's worse than the first. You see, we're all going to die unless Jesus comes back and we're alive. And and then after the dead go, we'll go with them. But if we die that first death, that's not the important one. That's not the important one. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says this. I've quoted it. I'll show it to you. Is that on screen? I guess it didn't. It's simply, it is pointed for a man once to die. After that, the judgment. Now, Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. What is the first resurrection? The first resurrection is your resurrection after you've died. So blessed are those who are in part of the first regular uh, resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Not to get into that post eschatology and, and all of this stuff, but that means those of us that are taken out of the world, either through the resurrection of the dead or we are raptured out alive, we will lead worship in with Jesus for the thousand-year reign of Christ here on this earth. But it says the power of the second, the second death has no power over them. What is the second death? Revelation 20, verse 14. The thin, this is talking about final judgment. Then death and hate were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the, everybody say that, second death. Friends, there is no resurrection from the second death. In fact, verse 15 after that says, Anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life 
was thrown into the lake of fire. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children, you and I, have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Don't worry about freezing. Don't worry about five easy steps to escape death. There is no escape. But I tell you what, there is a way of life that is supernatural provided by the transfer of our faith into the only one worthy to have faith in, and that's Jesus Christ. He was there speaking the world into creation. He himself came to earth like us, born of a virgin, raised as a carpenter's son, scorned and rejected, but went to the cross and laid his life down in order that he could say to us, even though because death entered the world and by it everyone will face death, Jesus Christ has a resurrection policy whereby we will never die again. And so, friends, if the end of your life is settled, that should make you have confidence, more confidence, more faith to live life every day. Why? You're not dead yet. So, if you have confidence in the fact that Christ has reserved for you a place, and that when you face death one day, when that trumpet calls, you're going to hear it, and you're going to come out of the grave. And as you come out of the grave, you're going to have a new body. If you believe that with all your heart and all your mind, if you have placed your whole life into that belief, why is this world getting you down? Now, I know there's some crazy stuff going on. There's some stuff that breaks my heart. But when you turn that brokenness over to God in prayer, he'll crank your light. Because you see, there is a darkness in this world. We're living in it. And it's trying to get darker and darker. But Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And we are lit. Our lamp is lit to be a light for others that are struggling. And so, with an assurance of God, we show people how to live this cesspool life. How to go through things and let nothing take away your hope. Because our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And in him alone. This morning, if you're listening online and you don't have that insurance, now is the day. There is a button there that says, I have decided. If you'll hit that button, someone will be in touch with you to share with you, pray with you, and help you 
come to know Christ. If you're here today and you know Christ is your Savior, but you're struggling and you feel like Jesus don't have time for you, oh, he's got plenty of time. And it doesn't matter. He's there in the crisis. He's there in the crowd. He's there waiting on you. Turn, cast your cares on the Lord and live with an excitement. You know, I understand the older I get when Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die gain. Think about that. That can be your heartbeat today. We're going to have ladies on one side and gentlemen on the other. If you have prayer needs, if you want to know about Christ this morning, please come during this song of invitation. I ask you to wait instead of going outside. Begin to pray right now that God would move that. God would remove this hold of living a fearful life and live in new freedom. Fathers, we come to you. I thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Thank you, Father, that is an anchor. It's steadfast. It's sure. And I pray that the word would have it work in our lives today. Set us free, Lord. You're accessible. In Jesus' name, amen.